man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. Text open to Galatians 2.20. Look at it now. Read it. I'm going to confess I have a little bit of a uh, kind of a desire right here, and that is that this, this verse will just sort of be burned into your brain. Uh, I know you don't have a brain saver going on, so if I leave that image on your brain long enough, it'll burn in. Uh, that's technology of the 80s, isn't it, though? But anyway, uh, but if you have that in your mind that I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I want that sort of in, in your brain, just, just there, and, and uh, so that um, it, it'll just pop up in your head uh, throughout uh, the week and throughout your life. Um, let, let me give you just a little subliminal suggestion, okay? First of all, you are getting sleepy. Okay, fine. <laughs> but the next time you're stopped at a red light and you're stopped and waiting for the traffic to go, and because you're not in a hurry, you only have 30 seconds, but because you are in a hurry, that light's going to last for a minute and a half, that when that light turns red and you stop the car and nothing else is going on, suddenly this is going to pop in your mind. I've been crucified with Christ. And Christ lives in me. I just want that to come into your head. Um, I'm not going to ask you next week, but uh, um, if you want to share next week that every time you were stopped at a red light, you started to think about, I, I've been crucified with Christ, Christ lives in me. That's the idea. It, it needs to be in front of us and consciously so, uh, this is the testimony of the Christian believer. This, this is what our faith in the gospel is really all about. There's a lot of ways you could phrase testimonies, I know that, but this is the way Paul phrased his. He said, when I think of what happened on that road to Damascus, when I met Jesus Christ, verse 19, he said, I died to the law. Right at that moment, I died to the law. Here's another way to, to describe that death to the law, death to religion. He said, it's, I've been crucified with Christ. And then he said, but now I live to God. And what that means is that Christ lives in me. So that was Paul's testimony. You know, if, if there was ever a person that we would look at and say, well, this is a person who only needs a little tiny bit of gospel. You, know, uh, you don't do that overtly, but we sort of do that emotionally. We look at some people and say, wow, they need a lot of gospel. They need a lot of work of God. They need a lot of what Jesus would do in their life. I mean, they've got problems coming out of their ears. They, they, they've got drug problems, alcohol problems. They've got uh, 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 you know, money problems, relational problems, emotional problems, psychological problems. They've got problems with problems. And they really need Christ. Well, really, let's pray for that person because they're in such bad straits that they need a radical transformation in their lives. They need the gospel. But somebody over here, you know, like Paul, he only needs a little bit of gospel. Because look, he already believes in God, right? 
Paul believed in God more than you do. Paul had a greater grasp of who God is than you do. Paul loved the scriptures. He had it memorized. Like most rabbis of the day, he could quote whole books of it to you. Paul loved the Word of God. He loved what God had done in the, in the pages of, of, the, of the Old Testament through the Old Covenant. He loved how God had brought about a way to know the glory of God and to approach Him and a way to worship Him. He loved the way that God had made manifest the holiness and righteousness of God in the law, in the display of the character and nature of God, in the will of God there in the law. Paul knew all that. He loved that. He loved the way God had provided a means of forgiveness of sin, a way that you could come to God after you had violated those commandments and come through the sacrificial system, and there you could have your sins atoned for by the design of God. And he, he was just praising God that there was a sacrificial system there in the temple. Paul loved the fact that there was a people of God. You love the church. Paul loved the people of God even more. He was so dedicated to the, to the church, to the people of God, the church of the Old Testament, but he was so dedicated to the people of God that he could not stand anybody coming in and distorting what God had done in the covenant people of Israel. In other words, he couldn't stand what these believers in Jesus Christ were doing because they were talking about something else, he thought. And so Paul was, was a religious man. He was an intellectual man of his day. Um, he wouldn't have thought about it philosophically, but uh, the Jews were not a philosophical people, but he was as close as you could get. And Paul was a good man. He was a righteous man. He was, he was the kind of man whose character was exemplary. You would want your children to grow up and be like Paul with that kind of honesty and that kind of integrity and that kind of commitment and that kind of zeal for the will of God in his life. So that's who Paul was. And we would look at Paul and say, you know, Paul just needs a little bit of gospel. He, he, there's not, he, he's so close, all he needs is just to add a little bit of this Jesus thing and he'd be okay. You know, he could bring all his religion and all his goodness and righteousness, all his works, all the great things about Paul, we could bring to Jesus, and Jesus could just add a little bit of the grace of God through the blood of the cross, all that, yeah, fine, but just add a little bit of that to Paul, and he'll be fine, he'll be great. Yeah, some people really need the gospel, but Paul, he just needs a little bit, sort of like you and me. Just need a little bit of gospel. Not a lot, just a little bit of gospel. Put us over the top. If ever there was a man that we would say was acceptable to God and just needed just a little tweaking here and there, it would have been Paul. Here's how Paul would have described himself. Paul would have said, you know, all that religion that I had in the Old Covenant, you know, all the sacrificial system and and, and the Torah keeping and, and, and the legalism and, and, and obeying the, uh, the, 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 the regulations of Judaism, you know, the dietary laws, the Sabbath laws, all those kinds of things. So all that stuff, I, I add that to the fact that I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. That, that meant that he was not just a Jew. He was a Jew who spoke Hebrew and read the scriptures in their original language. He says, I'm, 
I, was, I, I could trace my ancestry on yours of the tribe of Benjamin. I, I, I wasn't just some nondescript generic Jew. I, I was an identifiable Jew where I had come from, where my ancestors had been, and, and I, was, I was in love with the Torah, and I was on my way to the top. I was, I was singled out for leadership in the, in the, in the councils of, 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 of the religious leaders of the day. I, I was ahead of my peers, zeal for the law. Why, I, I love the things of God so much. And Paul said, when I think of all that, when I think of all the human goodness and all the human attainment and all the righteousness that attained to me, Paul said, I think of that and all I can see is trash. He's actually a little stronger than that. He says, I, I look at that and I just see a dung heap. When I look at myself. If you had asked Paul, he would not have said, I just need a little gospel. Here's what Paul would have said. Paul would have said, my rebellion against God wasn't the, the kind of thing that people notice because uh, it, it's so rank and it's so offensive to the social norms and sensitivities of the day. He said, but my unrighteousness against God was noticeable to me. So I'd, I'd read the scriptures and I'd realize that the good things that I wanted to do, I couldn't do them. And the bad things that I didn't want to do, that's exactly what I would wind up doing. It says, Paul said, Here, here's how you would have known me. If you had really known me, here's how you would have described me. Paul said, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Paul got to that point by following the law and following religion and following human goodness and achievement till he got to the point where he realized that this law meant for God to bring life. This law was killing him because he had not the power, the ability, the insight, not even the motivation to keep it the way it deserved to be kept. And so Paul was convinced of his own sin because of that law. And this preyed on him. But then Paul would have told you this. He would have said, you know, the moment came when I realized who Jesus was. Came for me on the road to Damascus. I was, I was on my way, persecute Christians, persecute the church. And I had a vision of Christ. And Jesus said, Saul, that was my name at the time, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus. I'm the one you're persecuting. And suddenly Paul realized this resurrection thing is true. This claim that these believers in Jesus are making about him as Lord, as Messiah Christ, as the one who fulfills all the promises of God, the one in whom the promise for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the last days had come true. Everything they were saying about this Jesus, all of that is true. And at that moment, Paul's life changed. He went from persecutor to persecuted. He went from one who could not stand Christ to one who would stand for Christ. He went from one who did not want to have anything to do with the body of believers to the one who would give his life's energy for the sake of the church, the body of Christ. His life changed. 
And that's the sense in which Paul could say, I have been crucified with Christ. That old man, that man that tried to be good and that man who tried to be with it and that man who tried to have everything under control, that guy who was failing miserably where it counted the most in the heart and in the spirit, that man is crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. That guy, that guy who was so proud of his religion, he's not alive anymore. But Christ lives in me. I mean, this, this is Paul's testimony. I've been crucified with Christ. Now, the reason we spent time on this uh, last week was to talk about the crucifixion of Jesus and understand that when Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, he's not saying, we did this together. It's not like he's saying, I have been on a cruise with Christ. You know, I have gone to the Bahamas with Christ. Jesus went to the Bahamas, I went to the Bahamas. He took a few pictures, I took a few pictures. We've got them in an album, go to Facebook, you can see them together. You know, we're, we're, you know Jesus and me, we had this great time together. No, when he says, I have been crucified in Christ, he means Jesus Christ died for me. Jesus Christ died for my sins. When he was put on the cross, it was my sin that was nailed to the cross. And when he died, it was my death that he died. That's the sense in which I have been crucified with Christ. He has done it all. Jesus paid it all. And so uh, Paul says, I, I've been crucified with Christ. And there's been a real change. I no longer live. I no longer live. Evidently, Paul understood what Jesus meant. When Jesus said, Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, look, if you want to, um, to follow me, to come after me, be one of my disciples, here's what you've got to do. Luke 9, 23. First, you need to deny yourself. And when Jesus said, deny yourself, he's not saying, well, pretend you don't exist. He, he said, to deny yourself is to understand you're not the center of the universe. You're not even the center of your universe. You're not even the center of a small part of your universe. The denial of self that Jesus talks about is actually the exaltation of Christ to the very throne of your heart to the very center of your focusness, of your righteousness. When you deny yourself, it means setting your eyesight, your, your thoughts, your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. It means considering heavenly things and not earthly things. This is what Paul talks about in Colossians 3. And so we are called to have Christ as the focal point, as the center of it all. And so to deny yourself is to say, look, I'm not going to do anything that can save me because that's beyond me. I can't pay that debt. And so I deny myself. I confess with God that I am a sinner, incapable. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. I think that's, that's, that's where Paul fits in here. He says, yeah, crucified daily. I'm crucified with Christ. I don't live anymore. It's not about me anymore. It's about Jesus and all about him. By the way, do you have any sense of how radically your life would change if you just decided that everything in your life was about Jesus? I mean, that, that's sort of a, a mind-boggling thought, isn't it? What would happen if you decided, you know, my marriage is about Jesus? 
about his glory. By the way, that's what Paul teaches in Ephesians 5. He says, but, but what if you decided, my marriage is about Jesus. My marriage is about bringing him honor and glory. My marriage is about exhibiting who he is. Guys, what would happen if you decided, my marriage is about Jesus, and therefore I'm going to love my wife, and I'm going to give myself for her so that I can present her, not by my power, but God can use some small effort in me. He can use that to present my wife spotless and blameless before the throne of God. What if that became your goal? I'm going to just love like Jesus. Ladies, what would happen? You looked at your marriage, and you looked at your husband, and after you got through laughing, you said, what if I submitted my life to him? What if I decided that everything about me I'm going to use for his sake so that somehow through me God can build him up? It might change a marriage, you think? What would happen if you looked at your job and said, you know, there it is. It's not the greatest job in the world, but it's the only one I've got. And when I get to work, I'm going to work for the glory of God. I'm going to work because Jesus is Lord. I've been crucified. It's all about Jesus. Just, you know, take that to all your relationships. Take that to every venue of life. Take that into the family. Take that into raising your children. Parents, if you decided, you know, that the purpose of raising my children is not so I have cute little monkeys who can do nice tricks. The purpose of my being a parent and bringing these little human beings into the world, the purpose of my life is to point them to Jesus so that one day they too will say, I've been crucified with Christ. I mean, that was sort of like radically transformed things. So Paul has this thing about his testimony. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. And that changes everything. That totally um, realigns everything in my life. No longer is Jesus a part of my life. He is life itself. I no longer live. Now he says two things about this. He says, when, when, when he says, here it is. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. You know, we, we teach our children, and rightly so, no, don't stop. This is true. We teach our children that they need to ask Jesus into their heart. Ask Jesus into your heart. And of course, a child is trying to figure out how does he get into the heart and, you know, and it doesn't matter. You need Jesus in your heart. You know, and sometimes the, the, the children will come forward and I'll, I'll say, why have you come forward? I want Jesus in my heart. Oh, how precious that is, isn't it? I want Jesus in my heart. Christ lives in me. I have Jesus in my heart. Now think about what that means. That means that the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, 
That means the one who is clothed in the majesty of glory. That means the one who is the prince of heaven. That, it, that means that the one who reigns over the entire universe. That means the one in whom all things adhere and hold together. The mediator of creation. The one without whom everything would just fly apart. This one who has more power than the universe can contain. This one who has more depth and more wisdom than the human mind could ever absorb. This one who has more love and more compassion than the human heart could ever experience. This Jesus who is the Son of God, the Word of God incarnate, the one made flesh who dwelt among us. This Jesus lives in us. You know, if, if I told you that, that uh, uh, you know, say you were going to visit Nashville and, and I said, well, I, I think, who, who was it, Johnson? Uh, Jackson. Uh, Andy Jackson had his uh, hermitage. and J Somebody look that up on Google and tell me afterwards. See, it used to be that you could, that you could um, sort of smokescreen people with knowledge like that, but now they look it up on Google and tell you you're wrong, so I'm afraid to say, okay. But you go to Nashville and say, well, you know, Andy Jackson had his house, the hermitage there. I think that was Nashville. None of you know, do you? You're all looking it up right now. Stop. Listen to me. <laughs> But I said, look, there's a famous man who lived in that house. Famous guy lived in that house. You said, that must be some house. You would go visit the house if you had any sense of history. You, know, you, you would go visit the house. You'd walk through the rooms. Wow, this is where, where the president uh, used to live. This, this is where, where he used to do his work, and this is where he had study. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, Mount Vernon would have done. I wish I thought of it. But, um, <laughs> you know, you're going to go visit that place because somebody important lived there. Christ Jesus lives in me. Christ Jesus lives in you. Christ Jesus lives in that little child who just wants Jesus in his heart. Christ Jesus lives in that older, uh, you know, grandfather, great-grandfather who has loved the Lord all his life. Jesus lives in you. This is an amazing thing. I mean, this is an amazing thing. This is why we talk about um, around here letting Jesus be seen in us in front of the little ones. You know, we have children running around in the building. Some of you are wrestling with them right now. But, uh, uh, you know, we, we have the, 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 the little preschoolers and we have the children and then we have the, 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 uh, the, uh, the youth and then we have the, the young adults and then we have the median adults and then we have the older adults and then we have the senior adults and then we have the dead adults. We have all these... You know, we have all these ages, and one of the things that we need to do is let Jesus be seen in us. If Jesus lives in us, you know, the little kids, the little eyes are not going to ask a theological question. They're just going to say, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, look, that's what they're doing. They're loving each other. Maybe that's what I ought to do. They're sacrificing. Maybe that's what I ought to do. They're volunteering and, and, and giving their time and their talent in order to, to make worship happen, in order to make a Sunday school happen, and discipleship training happen, and, and uh, Wednesday night GAs and RAs happen, and, and to make kids camp happen. And I'm running, and, you know, on and on it goes. And they're seeing Jesus in us. Look, when a little kid comes down the, the hallway, you know, I don't stop him. Well, I want to stop him, but I don't stop them. I say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can I tell you about the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity that happens with the hypostatic union of the two natures of Christ? You got that? Because it gets hard from now on. <laughs> now you just high-five them. 
high five. And then somewhere buried in their mind is, you know, when I went to church, I was surrounded by people who loved Jesus. Jesus was in them, and I saw that. I saw that. And every time they're confused and they want to know, what does it mean to be a believer in Jesus Christ? What does it mean? Well, I saw Jesus in those people. That's how vitally critical this is. See, it starts, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's a great witness and a great testimony. Now, um, not only a, a, is it a witness, but Christ living in me uh, is really the expression of Christian life. I mean, oh, happy day. Oh, happy day when you discovered that all these things that God requires of us, you don't do it on your own. Christ does it in you. You know, now, every time you read the Bible and said, I can't do that, of course you can't do that. God knew that when he wrote it. Christ in you can. You know, and right now we're talking about the, the work of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the energizing and mobilizing and, and, and enlightening and guiding and, and all those things that the Holy Spirit does to bring us to a point where we know the will of God, want to do the will of God, and by the grace of God, have the power and the resources to live obedient lives. Why? Because Christ lives in us. If you want to frustrate yourself, just try living the Christian life on your own steam. If you want to know joy and gladness and just praising God constantly, live the Christian life by surrendering it all to Jesus. Let him live in you, you know. He lives, he lives. You ask me how I know he lives. I know because he lives in my heart. And that's what Paul's saying. So he says, first of all, my testimony is this. I've been crucified with Christ. And what that means is I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. But then he says one last thing about that. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. He said, I'm living by faith. I'm living by faith. Uh, if anybody could have lived by religion, it would have been Paul. If anybody could have lived by the power of the intellect, it would have been Paul. If anybody could live, have lived by morality, it would have been Paul. But he says, no, I'm living by faith. What is faith? Faith is trusting and obeying, trusting in the promises of God who sent his son to die in our place, trusting that the promise of God is true, that when Jesus gave up his life, he gave up his life in your place so that you might live in Christ. And then obeying the commandments of God, not as a way to uh, you know, either earn salvation or keep salvation or enhance salvation or improve salvation, but simply obeying the commandments of God because it is a delight to please the Father who has loved us this way. You see, this is very personal with Paul. Did you pick that up in the text? If you look at it right now, you'll see that. He didn't say... One has been crucified with Christ. The definition of the believer is one in whom the existential reality of Jesus has come to abide in the very being of this human who has now accepted and embraced the concepts that Jesus advanced in his earthly ministry. He didn't say that, did he? What did he say? I have been crucified with Christ. 
You can just hear the wonder in his voice, can't you? And he, well, not I have been crucified with Christ. I don't live. Christ lives where? In me. An amazing thing. And the life that I live, I, I live by faith in him, who, the Son of God, who loved me, who gave himself for me. This is intensely personal for Paul. And I pray it's intensely personal for you. I pray that this is, this is not a, 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 a case of let's get some ideas, let's go to the moral lecture, let's have an entertaining time, let's fulfill our Sabbath obligation. My hope and my prayer is that for you, this is so personal that it just, uh, like Paul, you're saying, I've been crucified with Christ, but he lives in me. I don't understand it. He lives in me, and I live by faith in the Son of God. And so my prayer for you this morning is that that would just be at the front of your thinking from now on. Every venue, every relation, every place, every, every time you turn around, that would just jump out at you. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. That'll change how you live. It'll change how you worship. It'll change your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray with me if you would, please. And gracious Father, we know that there's no good thing that we can add to the gospel. There, there's nothing that we bring to the table that is not yours already. And so we're overwhelmed by the message of grace. We're overwhelmed by the sacrifice of Christ. We're overwhelmed that you love us the way you do. And so, Father, I'm praying now for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit that upon that one here today who does not know Christ as Lord and Savior, that this would be the moment your Spirit would move the heart, move the conscience, move that person to reach out and to ask Jesus to come in. Father, I pray for those who are believers that the magnitude of grace would just become so apparent that our whole lives are defined by the reality of Jesus. I ask this in his name for your glory. Amen.